Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. So boys, what have you been up to this week? Tom, what have you been doing? Oh, Santa. You're dressing really, up as dressing up really Santa cool. or visiting Santa or no visit visiting Santa. We we visited Santa and opened in Leahy's farm in in Cork. It was very, very good. Magical, you might even say. And as I was taking my little girl around all the little they've all little like there's a winter wonderland zone, there's like an elf training zone, all these different places before you get to see um Santa. And um yeah, we were it was just amazing. It was just like, wow, this is brilliant. Because I've never, I've never, I've never been to see Santa before out as a, as a, as an adult, obviously. Um, but even then, when I was young, we didn't really, we didn't really have that. As when I was young, I remember going to see Santa over in, um, it was Butlerstown, over in Cork, uh, and uh, it was my grandfather <laughs> who was doing it. So I was just like, wait a minute, <laughs> what are you doing here? But yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was magical. So that's that's what I was doing for the weekend, just walking around and just. It, it, there's a few photos taken of me where I'm looking in awe of the magical energy that's there. So yeah, it was very good. Also, I got to saw um, get to see a snake in real life. So that was pretty cool. Santa had a snake. There were there were snakes at the farm. Of course. So we were after we saw Santa, we got to see this, a few. This snakes. all makes perfect sense. <laughs> of course, there's a farm. There's a farm in Cork. Santa's, Santa's there, and he has snakes. Loads there of things snakes that begin there. with S. <laughs> snakes. The, there were the sheep sausage. there. There were sausages and sandwiches. <laughs> there were sharks there. Um, but yeah, no, we, we had a great, 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 great time. Um, and yeah, it was magical. I would definitely go again. I won't. Although I am going to see Santa again this weekend, <laughs> but not the same one. This is a different one. I, if you were going back to Leahy's farm, I was assuming that this was a plug and you were receiving some sort of backhander. You'd never know if I was. I would never declare it. Yeah. <laughs> Just remember Leahy's farm. Leahy's farm. Best Santa in Cork. That name again, Leahy's farm. <laughs> Leahy's farm, that's the name. Yeah. What, we up yes, to? what have you been up to? Nothing. You didn't, even, you didn't even think about Santa once. I'm going to see him this weekend, this Sunday. So I won't. Next week, I'll regale you with my Santa tales, I suppose. But no, I'm not up to much. Um, I got annoyed at the checkout person in Aldi the last day. But oh, aside from that, supermarket talk, this is, this is going to get the viewership. No, like it's best. not. If, no, I have no issue with anything, right? But Aldi's checkout after is very small. And is your man, small. your man had hands like Aaron Smith. He was just boom, 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 boom. I was like, okay, I have to be atop my game here, packing my bag. I've no issue with that. What got me was when I was trying to reach for stuff, he just kept pushing things as if it was a really long, I suppose, what would you call it? I don't know what you'd even call it, where you scan it and then you push it down that place. We, and then the other person picks it up. That area, that kind of table. I don't know what you call it. We'll call it a loading zone. Yeah, know let's say the, let's yeah. say the loading, loading zone. zone. That's a great name. Um, but it was when I went to reach for something and he just pushed things down the loading zone. Now, the loading zone is only the width of your two legs. It's really not that far. 
So like, it was like, you're not, it's not going anywhere. The only place it's going to go is the ground. Like so, you're, you're only, you're making everything harder here. It was, buddy. it was. And I kind of looked at him and he looked at me and I just went, I didn't, I probably shouldn't have, but I did. And he just looked at me and I looked at him and I said, listen, it's not the Olympics. Let's calm down. And he just kind of went, oh, okay. Just some young lad. I'd say he was maybe 17, 18. And he was just like, oh, but he didn't calm down at any way stage of form he still had hands like Aaron Smith he still just shoved the groceries towards me so as I was leaving I clicked the little yellow face because I wasn't totally what? angry but what yeah I hit the yellow one wow yeah well, was, so, so, someone's gonna get flogged at the back I was I, livid I would have to get shot for me to go out and press the yellow the yellow not very happy face I, I would have to get shot I couldn't press the, the manager of the store well I'm trying to think what would happen to red I think the only way I could press red is if I had paid for my groceries and then they decided it was still theirs. Maybe that would be the red. And they didn't change you. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they brought me to Leahy's farm. Um, <laughs> but no, that's about the highlight. Well, that's not even a highlight. That's probably the only thing of note uh, that happened. We got one of those uh, robotic floor cleaners as well. That, oh, that's zoom around the floor. Or something one of like those. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is pretty good now, to be fair. Um, turned it on the last day, cleaned the whole floor while I just watched it, to be honest. Um, so not saving any time, just literally, effort. literally. I'm just, I'm just filling time here. <laughs> Absolutely nothing interesting has happened to me in the last week. Nothing at all worth noting. So sorry for the last two minutes of just talking. I just felt like I needed to fill a silence. That could be my entire career, really. Yeah, but like, sorry I mean, for the last eight years of talking. I feel if I just said nothing and left it at that, it probably would have been funnier and more interesting than just filling. And I'm still doing it. So feel free to feel free to jump in anywhere here. I'll jump in then. Yeah. No, uh, what you call it? I went down to the monster match on Friday night, brought my daughter down to that. It was Baltic cold. Yeah. Down in Musgrave. Oh. My brother was at it. He was saying cold. I know. It was cold. TG Cahir, uh the people presenting for TG Cahir had to scrape all the ice and frost off their table before the game left. <laughs> yeah. It was so yeah. cold. Well, it looks so cold. I, I was I was a toasty cinnamon bun watching it on TV. I had maybe seven layers on me, I think it was. It was I had the, the skins, I had a t-shirt, I had a polo shirt, I had a jumper, I had another mid-layer thing, and then I had a coat on it. I looked like the Michelin man. I literally was walking around like this where I couldn't get my, it was like one of those bodybuilders, you know, where the, where the arms can't come down because I had so many layers underneath. It was that bad. I remember being um, at um, a game in Tormund. It was a Stevens Day game. So it was obviously Leinster, but years ago, I can't remember which one. And I remember before the game, we went to get a point for the crowd, let's say. So when we were in the crowd and uh, I bought one and when the lads bought two and it was, was he American? I think, I think I was there with Tim at the time. He's an American friend of mine, but I think it was that game and he bought two and I bought one and he was like, oh, you're going to have to go back. And I was like, yeah, but you're going to regret your choice. And while, you know, we we're just supping a point, I was able to hold it in one hand, the other hand in the pocket and every couple of minutes just swap hands, other hand into the pocket, blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of comfortable and he was just standing there, two freezing hands. I was like, your first rodeo, my man. Yeah. Made a, made a mistake there. And this I was always... terrace, terrace just to, to oh. so you're just standing, you can't put it down on the ground. Like, you know, it's brutal, silly, silly, sillier. 
Whenever I go to I games remember. these days, I always underdress. I don't know what it is. Like, well, if you got I always, it, I arrive got it, early. If you got it flaunted, like. that's it. Showing off the uh, big bald head. But you know, I go to um, I go to like anytime I go to Tom or Montreal Park, always it's like midway through the second half. I'm just like I'm fucking freezing, and I could go there in the summer. It's like I am freezing. What the fuck am I doing here? Completely underdressed every time. I remember See going laundry to, though. I think it was the Six Nations game in the old Lansdowne Road, and I was standing on the terraces, and it was it was February, and it was freezing like that. And I remember I went out and I bought two hot whiskies, not to actually drink, but just so I could hold them in my hands, <laughs> one in each hand, to try and warm up my fingers. <laughs> And I waited until all the heat had gone out of them so that I could drink them at that point. I wasn't even having them hot. It was literally just so I could warm up my hands. It was that bad. Yeah, rugby cold is a different level of cold. Especially it's, when you're on a terrace. because you're just standing there. You're it, not just comes up, it just comes up through you, up through the concrete. How old are we, so, eh? We're old. <laughs> complaining <laughs> about how cold it is outside. <laughs> and my legs are hurting and my back is we, sore. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll start a little segment next week. Good solid coats to wear to rugby matches. Good solid, a good solid coat. Now you want to get some good solid coat to bring to a match. Yeah, get a good, get a good. I find Nike ones now are good with the, with the big legging jacket kind of thing. Now that's the thing. I'd well, like to get a subs coat. I would like to get one of those subs coats. Lovely. Yeah, that'd yeah. be unreal. I remember buying. I had one of those in. I think it was in school. I had one of the Umbro ones, big sort of long three quarter length ones. Ah, oh, class. Years yeah. and years ago. Oh, they were in the business for keeping you warm. Yeah, I'm mad to get one, but it's just finding one you like. You'll always find one, but you just won't like it. So if anyone knows where you can find a nice subs jacket, then there's definitely a name for them. Are they warm up jackets? Yeah, they, but, they, yeah, but they, like no, no, the warm up jacket is is like a like a top. Oh, it's, isn't a, it? it's a top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, do you know they're big long ones? They might go to your knees, but they're mm. like a puffer jacket. That is, yeah, one of those kind of things. I'd love one of them. But a, a nice one, not just like, I don't know, a not nice one. So there you go. I'd like a nice one. But nice. I'm one. just I'm just filling space again. So can we talk rugby? All right. We'll we'll move on to rugby. We'll we'll start with the Munster game uh, from Friday night. Played in as I said Baltic conditions. Munster uh, won forty points twenty nine against Glasgow. Um, a tale of, uh, I suppose, two sides. Munster's attack versus Glasgow's attack. Um, Glasgow's mall, yeah, and yeah, Munster's attack from anywhere on the field. <laughs> um, just on the Glasgow, Glasgow's just on the Glasgow five mall, though. Yeah, but like you can say that there was five mall tries, and you're absolutely dead right in saying that, and that the mall D needs work, absolutely. But like they didn't just decide to take those lineup malls from that position. Like it was cheap penalties that. Luffy penalties like so, there was one tackle in the air equals equals a try one accidental offside equals a try so like it's Just, it's 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 cheap meters and cheap points at the same time so i think yeah you can talk about the the mall d 100 you're you and we have every right to um i think but it's also how they got there that needs addressing too i think yeah because I, I wrote before the game um in my preview that like Glasgow play very differently against non-Irish teams. It's really weird, right? If you look at how many passes per kick they play, 
against the likes of Stormers, Benetton, they do four or five passes for every one kick, which I, I describe as sort of counter-transition rugby, right? Where you're kicking the ball with a fairly high frequency. There's lots of movement up and down the field. They do that against everybody else. Against Irish teams, though, that number goes way up. So it's like 9, 10, 11 passes per kick. And what I realized watching it, because I watched them playing against Connacht, I watched them playing against Leinster, and I watched them playing against Ulster, against the Irish teams, what their main attack is, is hanging onto the ball in the middle of the field and looking for penalties. That's their game. They did it against Ulster. They did it against Connacht. That they play, their, like their face play game isn't massively, like it, it's not really hard to deal with. Like they play, they play on ball phases. It's not impossible to defend. Like you do, you can defend them fairly, I would say not easily, but there's nothing there that you've not seen before. There's nothing there that's radically different. But when you look at the what happens when they get that penalty, it is down to the five meter line almost every time. And once they get that mall going, they are unbelievable at converting from that range. Now, Munster's mall defense was poor all over the place at times. But Glasgow are so good and so efficient at that area of their game. Their line out into their line out mall, they are so, so good at it. And that's what this game was. Munster defending Glasgow like fairly comfortably and then a daft penalty gets given away and like the first one for example Shane Daly gets turned over because he got his feet tangled up underneath him on a, on a kick Glasgow kick it into the corner try almost immediately that, that that's what the game was Munster hurting Glasgow from range Glasgow not really looking up to much until they got a penalty and then that's when they were incredibly good and incredibly efficient from five meters out and even from the, like from Monster 22 just very very dangerous it was impressive to watch in some regards but fairly fucking horrific viewing if you're uh, looking at Monster's mall defense as well yeah, yeah I, th- I thought Monster defensively when Glasgow went through the phases they they very Com- rarely threatened Monster so drove comfortable. back and, so comfortable yeah Um, and it it there wasn't anything there, as, as you said, Jeff, though. It was just penalties and soft penalties in, in the main that just gave him the access. And once that was there, I thought Munster's, Munster's Mall was Mall D was a bit suspect on right. Um, technically, I thought there was there's some deficiencies in it. Tactically as well, I mean, um, Ollie Yeager came on. Um, and for the first two mall tries I think when he was on or the first two malls when he was on he was standing off them he wasn't he wasn't involved I mean there's no point in getting a prop like him and bringing him into the squad if you're not going to engage him like what and what's he going to do part of that is Munster loved to keep three defenders over on those short range malls mm. and try and stop up the opposition with a four man brace um, yeah we, we're doing we, like I said, we've been doing that doing that for years but you can actually see the different jobs in that mall defense as well. Like the monster number six jersey is going to be if the if there's four guys bracing the the, the line out. You've two on the outside trying to pin you've two on the outside and then two on the touchline side. The six, the monster six is going to be the guy on the inside of the touchline side. And that's Peter Romani usually or it's Jack O'Donoghue. It was Tom O'Hearn here and then it was Alex Kendallin. And I found Thomas O'Hearn struggled a little bit 
to get his lockout right. But what Munster, I think, what I think Munster were trying to do was we were trying to pinch them all. So on the one hand, you had uh, Tyg Byrne and maybe it it was a it was a loose head defensively. So it was Jeremy Lockman at the back of the line out, and we were trying to almost get on the outside and then laterally push that Glasgow Mall towards the touchline, while the other side of our mall pushed against it. And that's what was going to get a first stop. And once you have the first stop, then then you're kind of around the corner and you're near to just you know to try and scrag the ball or whatever else. But we found it very difficult to get first stops, or it took an extra second or three or four seconds, and that meant that we were holding a lot of Glasgow pressure. But most of the time, it was four or five monster mall defenders against a full eight for Glasgow, and sometimes even more. So I felt our number management was a bit off as well. Yeah, and, and look, I think hopefully that's something that's easily fixed. You can put a bit more bulk into it. You can, as you say, change the roles or or tweak it. I think it's there. I'd much prefer to be in a situation whereby the attack is running as well as it is at the moment um, and you, you're fixing up something as, as what I consider as simple anyway as Maul D. You, I think it, bringing back the likes of Klein, etc., you know, um, will make a difference to that. I think you're dead right there. Like, wouldn't life be an awful lot worse if Munster conceded those five mall tries but didn't fire a shot and attack? That's it. Like, the Munster's attack is some of the best in Europe at the moment, I think, when you're looking at because I watch a lot of top 14, see a lot of Gallagher Prime, I watch a lot of DRC as well. Munster's attack with the variety, the threat from really far out, some of the best in Europe right now. And it's like, how long has it been since we've been able to say that? Ah, but like you look at last week, that try against Leinster, or two weeks ago, that try against Leinster. And then you're kind of thinking, Jesus, what a banger. And then the following week, they score a belter. And you're like, oh, okay, two weeks in a row. And then they score another one. And you're like, oh, this is wonderful. This is really, really wonderful. And it has been, I suppose, one of the best parts of it is without being biased or anything like that, when you look at Munster as is, I think probably the most exciting thing for fans, and I don't know, maybe you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I know as a fan, probably the most exciting thing is it's still a project. It's just in year two. Yep. Now, it looks really like it's not a project because of a URC win and a URC title there last year. But, I mean, that was year one of nearly a brand new coaching setup, etc. Like you had Prendergast, Leamy, you had a new head coach, etc. All across the board. And then this is just year two of a project. So let's say you look at that Maldives failure at the weekend. Like Dawn said there, it's an easy fix. You look at the attack, it's really flourishing. You look at how comfortable Munster were for long periods of Glasgow's possessions. This is just year two. Like it's it's December of year two. So I mean, there is obviously still work to go. And we look last year, this time, this this exact same time last year, you go back 12 months and you had Dennis Levy saying, listen, we're not going to be winning a lot of games or we're going to be dropping games here and there. It's not, It wouldn't have been too far off that loss to Dragons, etc. What, maybe, that was what, maybe in November-ish? I don't know, I can't really remember, but it was early enough in the season anyway. October, I think. But like, I mean, this is, what, a year after that. It's just one and a half years into this kind of 
project. So, I mean, we, we talked about Connacht there under Andy Friend and being de- 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 brought into a project. We talked about it under Stuart Lancaster, et cetera, with Leinster. This is, this is year two of Munster. It's in a very good place. And as a fan, that's probably the most exciting thing, I think. I think, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And you add to the young players that are coming through that will continue to develop under 100%, that. 100%, yeah. Like one of the, one of the things, as I said, I was at the game on, on Friday night. One of the things that I, I don't think you necessarily pick up on TV is how good John Hodnett is on, on the pitch. He is just absolutely everywhere. The ground he covers, the amount of involvements he has. Um, it was one of the things that really stood out to me, how, how good he is in that role. <clears throat> um, you know, you've you've got him, you've got the likes of a dog bow. Um, I think I, I saw it somewhere I somewhere this week, someone said to me, Alex Kendallin is going to win his 50th monster cap. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Like how how has that guy got fifty monster caps already? That's just insane. It's a bit like the the Kean Prendergast fifty for Connacht. You're like, yeah, Jesus, already. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean those sort of things. Um, look, there's still there's still a lot to do for Munster. There's still a lot of things that they need to sort out. I think, you know, I think a lot of it is down to personnel. There's there's a lot of changes that are happening within the squad overall from. I think the last two years, but I think particularly this year, you you look at the likes. Um, we, we might talk about it a little bit more, but um, what is it? Earls and um Andrew Conway are going to be shown to the are going to be uh, at the game on Saturday. Um, you know, they've left. You've got Orgy leaving at the end of the season. I'm sure there's going to be more that will actually change. Um, in in the coming months with, that we'll find out about, you look at the changing of the guard that's coming. You've got Peter Omani stepping down as captain. It's all coming together that this group of young players coming through with a team that is as a coaching team that has taken the style of Munster, I think, in a completely different direction to oh, what's 100%. been there for the from the like, last I just, had a, I just had a thought. I just had a thought there. Right? Would you rather in early December, midway through the season? have absolutely perfect mall defense and for your attack to be basic and rudimentary. No. Or would you rather a really sophisticated, effective attack and mall lead it needs work. I know what's I know what's easier to fix. Yes. yes. I know what's easier to turn around. That's it. I mean, like it's it's very fi- fixing mall D if you have the right players, fixing mall D is is quite simple. It's it's like a scrum. Like it can be changing up certain decisions or like certain yeah. tendencies. Like maybe we're going to make, you know, have slightly more, like we'll, we'll input five guys, start of a mall defensive set. We'll deal with whatever's coming around the flanks. We live with it. And maybe that changes things up. Or maybe you compete more in the air because Munster didn't really do that um, in, in, in this game. Like it's a relatively easy fix, I would say, relative to yeah. what the opposite would be, which would be let's try and fundamentally reshape our attack. <laughs> We saw how difficult that is. I mean, the the other option is that you you literally you just sack every mall that comes. You know, the, the, as you said, tried that on, on Friday. It didn't really work. <laughs> well, now to be fair, there was some of them they didn't even try. Um, <laughs> uh, the, I could see there was one. It was the first one. I was just like, oh, that was shocking. Everyone, the way, the way the we front. got, yeah, we got caught. And look, to, to be fair, it was a very good lineup design by Glasgow as well. Yeah. 
but there was when they took that down at the back, you could see Jeremy Lockman was just like, I'm going to try and fucking sack this. <laughs> but it's just like, no, man, you're you're one against three with fucking three more guys coming. Just nothing you can do here. Just, I don't he, know. He, you just going to have to take to go a minute the, at that the, point. The sort of sweep the legs, judo chop, <laughs> and just go for the fucking chop block. Yeah. Take whatever's coming. <laughs> it is. Um, look, overall, I think Munster playing top of the table Glasgow you take a, a try bonus point win um, yeah and try, I try, not, to, try not to get too down on the, the Maldi I know I was very down on the Maldi for a while but it's just like five points if you if, if you said it would have been 5-1 on the points differential before the game I would have been like okay grand job I think yeah you take it I know it was a slightly rotated Glasgow side in, in terms of particularly um, I think their backs um but you, you take that. It's it's five, as you say, it's five points. These are the games you have to win. You have to win your home games. You have to to take that. Beat the top of the table side and get a try bonus point. Take that every day. Look, look pretty um, sexy doing it. Every yeah, day of the day. week. Every day of the week. All day. Yeah. Some of those, some of the, yeah, I thought some of the, some of the as we said, the attacks were excellent. Um, Tom Ahern at six. Looking really nice. Looking tidy. Is, looking tidy. It's, Kind of when all you, those when positions you, when you where, think of, if you're on the edge, you're thinking, Do you know what? It's actually really good, actually, to be six foot nine <laughs> out here. It's <laughs> it's strange really when, when you see him doing it now, and you look at his skill set, and you suddenly think, you think, yeah, he actually fits that sort of wide man thing. He has the pace, he has decent power, he, you know, he's good skills, good handling. You think, yeah, why didn't anyone else think of this like six months ago? Plus. It's like, like you look at him running at the speed he's capable of running at, at the size he's, at the size of the man that he is, that, and you're just boy, like that boy is quick. It's a fucking cheat code. It you know, is. it's like you, you you can't be that tall and that fast. Come on, now, that's it's not like, fair. It's, it's like a runaway giraffe when he gets going, and, he, and <laughs> he's still he's still developing his game. Like he's the way he's playing at the moment. Like that's a guy who I think could be in a conversation for an Irish call-up. I think he fits fits that type of role that they're maybe looking with yeah. Ryan Baird at that sort of sort of competing role. In that in that role set he could be can compete there and, and I think have a lot to say about it, but we'll see. Yeah, see how that goes. I think um so then we'll we'll look ahead to the to this week. Um the news from Monster this week is Baron, Lockman and Patterson all sign new two year deals. More more good the business than done by Monster. Yeah. Um, all three very have really improved over the last couple of years. All, yeah, all three think, of them. Yeah. I think Baron and Lockman are no no real surprise. You know, Monster are short, I think, you know, in, in the front row um there. That's not it. Patterson maybe is. I thought he, you go back, he you, you go back a year, and he was man of the match in Porky Queef. Queef. Yeah, Porky Queef. Like, I, I think I, it, I think it, it, it shows Munster looking at the future beyond Conor Murray. Yeah, because you need to have like Patterson. I think <coughs> when he's at his best is he's fucking decent, class. Yeah. He's pretty. Um, good. so I think looking at, you know, um, if we don't know what the story is with Conor Murray's contract, he's out of contract at the end of the season. Is he staying around? We don't know. You know now that whatever's happening next season, there'll be Casey and Patterson there, two really good players. Yeah, I, I don't see an issue with with them. I I was wondering whether Patterson would stay on 
or would even would he do one year to see how things worked out? Because I'd say he, 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 I'd say he has a fair idea of what's for... going on. I'd say yeah. I think he's a fair idea of the crack. I'd say he knows more than us. I'd say so. <laughs> Wouldn't be hard. That's not. Yeah, that's, that's what no boss. That's no yeah. boss, Paddy. Um, <laughs> but as I say, good good deals for Monster. The other one then was uh, Monster have organised um, a game in I think it's February against Quinns in London. Uh, yeah. They want to keep playing. They want to because they found last season this was in the press there I think a couple of months ago or weeks ago that when they try to get going again after a couple of weeks off against Scarlets and then Glasgow, everything was really really hard to get back going. So they're trying to go, keep playing as much as possible. Makes sense. Um, yeah, it does make sense. Probably, it suits, also, probably suits Quinns as well. Then, well, yeah, I think, it, I obviously, think, it obviously suits Quinns or they wouldn't do it, I suppose. But aren't Leinster playing Saris as well? During that I think, point, yeah, during that time, they are. So, I think Monster Quins sort of there's a, a DHL link in there anyway, which will probably help with uh, financing it. And also, I would imagine Monster going over to London isn't going to hurt off the field from commercial terms either. Um, so I think that's a, a win-win all around. Um, in terms of next of sorry, the coming weekend, Monster play Bayon on Saturday evening as part of. It's the Investec Cup now, isn't it? Is this? Yeah. It's yeah. the Investec Cup. I'm going to still call it the Heineken Cup. Um, yeah. I'm just going to call basis. it That's Europe. Just Europe. Europe. Yeah, Europe. we'll call it Europe. We'll go with that. Europe. In Europe. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Europe. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's Saturday evening um, in Tolmond. Uh, Jean Klein is out with an eye injury until New Year. That's one he picked up in the Aviva uh, there a couple of weeks ago. That's the old Peter. curse. Curse of the second rose, is it? It's coming back mm-hmm. again. Yeah, he became non Irish qualified, so straight away. Straight away, gone. Here comes the injuries. <laughs> uh, Munster have uh, already started reaching out to Kieran McDonald to see what he's doing this season. What job to Kieran? <laughs> yeah, he, they said he might bring him back for uh, the Crusaders game, just purely for shits and come back, come back for the Crusaders game. <laughs> Have an absolute worldie and just tip on away again, and then we'll never see yeah. you again. Yeah. yeah, he's he's just gone. He's he's like that one guy that keeps coming back to the rugby club once a year. He's your Michael Bent. He's your second yeah. row Michael Bent. That's who he is. Uh, Peter Romani is out, but sh- I think there's talk that he might be back in, uh, for the second Exeter game. Yeah, yeah, for the second game against Exeter, um, and then Pat Campbell, Jack O'Donoghue, and Simon Zebo will be assessed. Uh, they're training back training at the moment, but will be assessed later in the week in terms of availability. Would li- I would game. like to see Pat Campbell. Not, I, I'm maybe probably not this weekend, but mm-hmm. I'd like to get a look at him in the next couple of weeks because uh, he's a real talent. I think, yeah, I think the the style that they're playing and the way that they're playing, I think, um, for me. Daly is I know he's played fullback. I think himself and Nash on the wing would be my certainly my first choice wingers. Yeah, I, I would you, tend to go with that. I'd like to see Campbell have, at that fullback. Yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, you put Campbell in there, maybe Zebo, um, or obviously Haley when they, when he comes back. Um and speaking of those, uh, the Munster injury list is Snyman, Carberry, Salanoa, Haley, and Niles Scallon, who all remain out longer term. Um Bayon are 10th in the top 14 with four wins from nine. So Bucky's predicting a very big win from Munster. I think it's over 20 points. I think it's 23 points or something they're predicting. Munster yeah, I don't have a whole lot of recent European experience at this level. I suppose that's what people are looking at, you know, that they're... Yeah, I think it depends 14. on the team, though. 
that they send over. It does. Like, and their their interest levels. Like, yeah. are they targeting this game? Like, is the, this, the is this game level, important to them? The interest level is going to determine it. Like, again, yeah. you you need just look at Montpellier. You need just and then Leinster actually when they went over to the Montpellier, you got walloped twenty eight. Walloped, I mean, walloped. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interest level will play. I think the biggest part in this. But I'm yeah. still going for a monster win anyway. Yeah, we go for a fairly chunky monster win. A chunky, uh, as Bayon send over the Espoirs and uh... the mascot, the bus driver, the mascot, the <laughs> and go for that. Um. Okay, so we're going for three wins there. Nothing much. Move on then to Ulster, um, who played Edinburgh. Um, they lost at home though. Uh, twenty-seven, twenty-four. Edinburgh got the win. Um, credit to Edinburgh was not was not expecting it. No. Yeah, I thought I thought Ulster were going to kick on, but I like I I watched this game back twice, and there's signs that I think Ulster are trying to expand their game and include the backs a little bit more but you look at what they were what they were doing it just it never it never clicked and it's it's been like their season so far it just never clicked um and the only thing that's any way effective for Ulster at the moment in attack is the line out mall and the crossfield kick to the winger and you go, you go beyond that and Ulster are struggling it yeah it feels that like They've recognized and identified the fact that they need to, you know, expand their their attacking game. And I've seen bits and pieces of that. Thought Jake Flannery did really well in, in certain aspects of that. But it's it's not it's 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 a difficult thing to do, especially coming into a season with it. Like there's always going to be teething problems. And I think when you look at Ulster this season, like they've had some really good moments in in, in games like they I think they played really well against Munster, for example. Um, but you know the last, the last two games against I think it was Glasgow and, and Edinburgh, it just feels that the, the energy has gone out of them at times, and it's like it shouldn't really be happening at this stage of the season. And like I know we're probably going to talk about it later, but I was like when I saw McFarland's comments afterwards um, about training, I'm like, that's not good. What that's did he say? What, did, what did he say about training? Because I actually missed his comments. I think it was about. Um, about standards in training, um, yeah, he, like he said, like, he said the stand they weren't they weren't living up to their standards in training. The standard of training on the Tuesday wasn't up to what would would be expected by him so, or the senior players or something like that. And then Wednesday, basically, basically, um, the headline of it was. I'm just going to read his quote. Um, he said the answer lies in going away and training at a level that you expect. Um, the highest standards. Um, training is easier than a match in the physical sense of it, not in the speed sense of it, but in the physical sense. We need to improve the level of our training. That's the bottom line. All of us need to pick up and drive forward. We trained really well on Thursday, but we didn't train very well on Tuesday. Training has been little up and down. A lot of that is due to the cohesion element. There's been a lot of chop and change, also change in the way we're playing. But now we should be better. We need to be consistent, more accurate in training now. So there he goes. He goes on, but couple, that's the kind of, of the main thrust of it. I suppose a couple of things there um, for me in regards to that. The first would be when he said the cohesion. I mean, you could name essentially a fifteen for Ulster that probably would have played over the last three years. Like, Unless he's talking you, about the likes of Kitchoff coming in and 
debuters, but like, like Jesus Christ, there's two players. It can't. No, I know like, that's the thing. Like, it's no, no, like, no. yeah. Um, so the cohesion side of thing is, I think, is interesting for me because I mean, I mean, you you, you literally could name them like, um, okay, Kitchoff aside, you could go Herring slash Stewart, you could go Marty Moore, Tom O'Toole, you could go either Henderson, Treadwell, um, Alan O'Connor in that second row. Like, you could literally just name them, no problem. So that cohesion one's a funny one for me, and. Again, I don't know anything about it, but like, I mean, if cohesion after this long is still an issue, would you reckon that clarity in your role is maybe being lost somewhere? Like we talked about South Africa there during that World Cup and we talked about how we could probably play for South Africa tomorrow because we would have absolute clarity in the role that is being given to us. You'd be just told, these are your jobs, you're finished, go away. Like, that's it. And you'd wonder about that. Now, the second thing I'm wondering about is... um. Sorry, can you? It, you mentioned something. Um, it's been up and down or, about training being up and down. How on the Thursday it was good, but on the Tuesday it was bad. But, but the time, what what did you say about the time? Oh, like he's basically kind of saying that um, training is easier than a match in the physical sense of it, not on the speed sense of it, yeah, but in the physical like, sense. The, the speed sense of it is something for me as well because I'm I'm nearly confident in this, and I'd say if the numbers were in front of me, they probably would back me up, but. I am nearly confident that Ulster train longer than other teams. So like, I know they train longer than Munster. I'm pretty, I'm 99% sure they train longer than, than Leinster as well. And I don't know about Connacht, to be honest, but having, you know, talked about how Connacht train to, to coaches and players and stuff like that, I imagine they do as well. So, I mean, if you're talking about the speed sense of things, like I know, like actually, do you remember when Roundtree took over, uh, whatever it was, 18 months ago, he talked about changing, changing the way we train. The way we train. Yeah. And it's it's super intense. Ulster like to train and stop and talk about it. Like if something's going wrong, they'll stop, they'll talk about it, blah, blah, blah. Whereas Munster will train and then afterwards in the review or whatever, they'll be like, this is wrong, we need to change this, blah, blah, blah. So in terms of the speed sense of it, I wonder, is that translating into the way they play? Is it translating mm-hmm. into, like, I mean, I mean, you you train like you want to play, like especially at the highest level. Like if you're not, I suppose, recreating those stress levels that you're going to see in match day. Um, like and I remember Lancaster was big on this. He had that drill. Was it called the four minute drill or that something like that? Or and you just continue to play. And if you made a balls of it, I think a ball was just kicked in and you just kept playing. Like that was the end of it. So it was just about dealing with that um, multi phase game and dealing with the I suppose uncomfortableness of it. So I just wonder, is the length of training? And again, this is just me speculating. It's nothing yeah. um, like I'm not there. I'm not watching it. Like, but I just wonder, is the length of training maybe an issue? And is that what's not maybe helping them recreate match day scenarios? Maybe I don't know. But surely it, look, it, 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 it could be. And it's, it, it is interesting. I think certainly with training, because like you are what you train. Yeah. Like you look at Glasgow, for example, right? And like you know what Glasgow run most during the week. Gonna be their lineup, gonna be their mall. Right. And it's like that translates onto the field then. So like what you train is what you are. And I think if you have your head coach talking after the game about training standards and stuff like that in public, that is very notable because that rarely happens in this game. Didn't he do that last year as well? Didn't he make a comment in regards to the team? Yeah, he called it the team. Something about the team. It was like, is in to be what? We're seven games in, is it? Is this round seven? 
Like, yeah, that's already lighting fires, and you're, you know, you're kind of not even midway through the season. It's like, but you know, if you if you look at what happened last season on that, Tom, like they they got to this sort of point, and then it was the second half versus Zebra, and everything went downhill. Europe went to shit. Yeah, and they barely recovered. So I, like, you look at what's happened in the first seven games. They've scraped wins. By and the thing is, they've won. been they they've had good segments in games. They've yeah. had good segments, but like also bad segments. That seems to be a a kind of a a fairly standard thing for them is that they're fairly up and down in games themselves. Yeah, and they've never they haven't won a game like they haven't gone out and delivered a. A sort of a consistent performance, as you say, over the 80 minutes to blow a team away, to sort of to put it together that they can get some confidence in. They've done it in little periods. They've never won by more than seven points throughout, throughout really? this season. Yeah. Jeez. It just, it, I don't know, it just feels, I don't know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kind of the, the, I'm the self-designated vibes inspector here. It feels that vibes are not great. <laughs> now, whether they are or not, I don't know. But it just feels that... Um, you know, especially after a loss like that at home. I thought that was a way, you see. This is, again, I was kind of very excited about Santa this weekend. So it was like the idea of um, uh, Ulster and Edinburgh. I was convinced that was in Edinburgh. I just, yeah. I, just I just had it in my head that it was there. Then I was like, oh, Edinburgh won. Okay. They won at home. And then I was like, wait, that was in the Kingspan? I was like, shit, that's, you know, it's like you don't really tend to see that see that that often, you know? And I thought that the the arrival of Stephen Kitchoff would give him a bit of a bounce, but it just feels that things are kind of the air is going to the balloon a small bit. But I come down well, from him. Kitchoff there comes comes in to comes in after winning the Rugby World Cup, loses his Ulster loses. debut, <laughs> loses his home Ulster debut, lost yeah, his wallet. And, and, <laughs> well, <laughs> even even the scrum wasn't going that well. No, not not his fault, but like Tom O'Toole got taken to the absolute cleaners in the game. Was that with Pierre Schumann playing? Yeah. Yeah, Schumann's hundredth, oh. I think, was it for Edinburgh? Yeah, good player, very good yeah. player, very good. Um, like, do you remember the, he ripped ripped the post off the pad or the pad off the post? That was Schumann, wasn't it? Th- that was in Musgrave Park, yeah. Him and a few yeah. other lads. And he ripped yeah. the pads off, and it's like <laughs> I was doing goal, radio. Whistle goes, and and I was like, like, "What are you doing? What the fuck is this? <laughs> you definitely can't do like, that." <laughs> I swore, I think it was like three or four times in 30 seconds with Donald Sullivan next to me. And I was just like, the fuck is he doing? What? I remember watching it and I was just like, you definitely can't do that. Like, why not just run over to the corner flag and steal that as well? Just, why why don't you just paint over the try line? It's like, you can't score if there's no try line. (laughs) Take the ball ball and just put up your jumper. Refuse to tell someone where it is. Cockerel thinking outside the fucking box. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Wild. Every time they bring on the kicking tee, just try and steal it, run away. Just go over beside the ball and just just kick it with your foot as they're about to start the run up. <laughs> it's the extra few percent, boys. That's that. That's going to make the difference. Top two inches. Grain of rice will tip the scales, boys. Top two inches. <laughs> Down there for dancing, boys. I know this game. <laughs> But I mean, I think what is it? Ulster, Ulster have a tough run of games coming up. I'm trying to remember what they are. It's Bath, Bath away, then it's Racing home. They've got two Interpros, then Connacht, Connacht at home, Leinster away, and then they're playing Toulouse and who's 
the other one? I pick a team, but I would just be picking a team. I'd just be literally just guessing. Random. But it's a, it's, a, it's a tough enough run. And like, yeah. even just here now, like I'm just on the website, I was quickly Googling there to get Dan McFarland's comments. Like you have Roddy Grant. He's kind of talking about how, you know, the struggling players and coaches. Now that's obviously editorializing from the, the newspaper. Um, Like we've got to come together and kind of, you know, change it. And it's like, Jesus, it's like fucking that's tough going to be talking about that ahead of a big European game. Like it's, uh, they're, it's they're Queen, going with Queen's, way Queen's to, way is the last game in, in Europe. Like it's, that's tough going. That like there's there's the chance that if if Ulster don't find something there, they you know they could maybe be coming out of that that run of sort of like six games, maybe one or two wins at best. It's like Again, but like this is the season now, like where URC is very difficult. You go on very difficult runs of games. Like Munster were on a, recently on a very, very difficult run. Ulster kind of had that coming up as well. And it's like they're real proving ground games because the pressure only gets more. Because like you lose one game, you know, they've lost, they've lost two now in a row. So they've got bathe away this weekend. Are they away this weekend? They are away. Yep. Yeah, like that's a tough. That's a tough game coming up. And like Bath you, are what, second, second in the You lose five the, out of their eight. Say you lose that game, that puts massive pressure then on the next game at home. And you, you mentioned who that was. I've forgotten it now. Rassing, but either way, yeah. Rassing at home. <laughs> you said you said it, but yeah. I wasn't listening. That's tough going. <laughs> I wasn't listening. I, I was. I was actually googling. Not googling. I was doodling a drawing there with a fellow. Look, see. But um, that is, but like you look at like this is a team who, how can I say, everyone has big expectations for. Did last year, yeah. Does, they're in do, win. They're in win now mode. A hundred percent. You you bring 100%. in Dave Yours and Stephen Kitchoff. It's like you can't be talking about developing then. You know, and, and uh, they're in a tough spot because the end of season, like season end last year, was brutal for them. Um, but it just feels that. Everything this year seems to be a bit of a struggle. Now they've won a good number of games too, to be fair. But it just feels that the luck, not luck, but things started to turn against them the last two. And now you're on a very difficult run of games against tough opposition. And like you could be looking in two games time at, you know, four losses in a row. And then that's real fucking house of pain stuff then. The only thing I will say in, I don't want to say in Ulster's defense, but around that, they've, they've stripped the squad down. And they have blooded an awful lot of young players. You look at like uh, good young players. Yeah, McCann. I know he's out injured, but you have like um, McNabby. McNabby looks like fucking GI Joe. This guy. Yeah, he he stood up really well. Um, obviously he needs to develop his game, you know, and and but he, I think all all the the sort of the raw ingredients are there. You have um Harry Harry Sheridan as well. You know, another good young player. I think they're. They've they've blooded those players in, but again, as we talked about, it's that cohesion. How do they link it all together in attack? But what would Parts they even, what, what would they even be cohesive in though? Like, like if they're it, trying to develop their attack, like what what are they developing into? What's the end goal? I know it's to win rugby games, but what's their what's the concept that they're playing? I find it very difficult to see that sometimes with, with Ulster what their attacking I, yeah, concept I, is. I think it to me when I, when I watch Ulster, what I see is you have a pack of forwards and you have backs, and there seems to be nothing that sort of links them together at times. 
it seems that you have a forward sequence of play and then a back sequence yeah. of play. But then sometimes I think this season they've actually they've linked it quite well, but it seems at the moment quite rudimentary. And I, I think I look at Stuart McCluskey as being their most important player now. He plays well. Ulster have a chance against in, in these next two games, which are going to be very difficult for them. Because I think looking at the, the, the squad that, that Bath are developing, like they could surprise a few people this weekend, I think, Bath, because I think they're quite good at home as well. Um, they play a pragmatic enough game with, you know, Finn Russell adding a bit of magic on transition and, and in certain phases or off the set piece. So, yeah, it's a tough one for Ulster because it, it just feels that there's lots of stuff that's sort of dragging on them at the moment. The other one is, I think, with, with the likes of Thomas the Tide and, and the, the Bath scrum, I think they could put Ulster under pressure there. And if you take away that platform, it negates what Ulster want to do in terms of launch plays and the ability to to get where they need to be. You're 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 giving them territory to take them away from kicking into into the the bath red zone. Tool has a big job this weekend. Yeah, against uh, Thomas the Toy, like that's a he's a fucking big scrummager, is him. And Will Stewart the other side rock solid as well. Uh, I just feel that Bath are in a, are in a good place at the moment. Yeah, they're in a much, yeah, they're in a much happier place. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that translates too. It's not just the fact they're doing well in the Premiership. I just think they're in a very happy place, um, and that translates across. Whereas, like Johan van Graan is talking all positives in his post game stuff, and then Ulster are training has to be better, etc. Yeah, we need to turn this around as a group. It's real apples stuff, and oranges, is... like it's real apples and oranges. So that feeds too. Well, yeah. Well, the other thing is like if. If this result doesn't go and the perform well, not even the result. If the performance doesn't go well, where does Dan McFarlane go from here? In in terms of you know, there's only so many times you can call the players out after the game. Call out the kitman. Call out the bus driver. Weather. Call out the Wind. eggs. Eggs. Yeah. Yes, the fucking eggs that caught us. Can't trust those ball fuckers though. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, so for Saturday afternoon, um, Ben Moxham is out. He sustained a fairly nasty looking leg injury um, at the end of the Edinburgh game. Will Addison is going through concussion protocols at the moment, so his availability is uh, unknown. And how, Herring... how many how many times do you think in the last few years has has Addison started two games in a row? Not much. Yeah. There's a question for you, I'd say. Jeez. I can probably find what? this out. Ah, yeah. no, 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 no. What, what's, what's his longest streak of games? It's easy enough to find out, I'd say. But um, like all rugby would have it or something. But I would reckon over the last three seasons, maybe two or three times, maybe. He's had an absolute nightmare. Well, this season he started two games in a row um, for Ulster um, against Zebra and the Bulls. Eight days after each other, so there's that. He did six round six and seven as well. He started, yeah, and then he missed a couple of games there. But before that, oh, Jesus, you're talking about last year, start of the season, zebra again, Benetton. He had four, four games Lions. at the start of yeah. last season. <laughs> okay, that was it. Jeez, yeah, but nice. it, either way, like he's played four games last season, season before that, four games this season, season before that, four. it's four games. Season before that, it's one, two, three, 
um, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. Nine. So yeah, look, he's he's just one of the 12. most cursed guys with injuries. 12. Honestly, so what? That's twelve games in two and a half seasons, is it? Pretty much, pretty yeah. much. That's and like that season before. I wonder. I wonder what it's like to have a player like that. <laughs> Couldn't tell you, boy. <laughs> so this weekend, well, Madison's not a second role, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Who are we going for this weekend? Go with a Bath win. I'm going to say exactly the same thing. I think Bath are going to win this by by, by about seven points. Oh, a three for Bath, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I just don't. I don't. I don't necessarily see Ulster turning around. I'm not. I'm not seeing anything there. Um, moving on then to the Interpro from last week: Connacht twenty-two, Leinster twenty-four. Uh, last play of the game. Win. I was in the Gary Vaux in Cork for this one. Around four or five points in. You weren't at the farm, this, this, no? This was after Leahy's farm. Leahy's farm. Because um, we stayed in the Gary Vaux that night. And um, I had great fun watching this game with each point that, that came along. I had a lovely chowder as well. Lovely chowder in the Gary Vaux Hotel. <laughs> Call now for offers, um. But yeah, but no, like looking at um, looking at the game, it was it was a really good game, really enjoyable, um, and the ending was very dramatic. I will give you that, but Connacht will be chewing the arms off each other inside there because they will be wondering how in the name of God did they fuck that game away twice, especially in the last five minutes. I, I think I said this after the game when I was on Twitter when I was watching it and I posted up for Connacht if you said to them at the start of the season you have a you have a home game against Leinster they're they they wouldn't they they'd obviously want to win it but they'd probably accept a sort of a two point loss and they'd go okay look in terms of the overall season that's 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 okay. You look you, at the manner you, of it. If you turned to Connacht though and you said you're going to be away to or Edinburgh and battle out to get a draw with the clock in the red and then you're going to be at home to Leinster and you're going to battle ahead to then lose it in the last play. Like, th- this is the thing. Like, you, you can look at the way Leinster won it and f- full credit to them. Like, allowing five passes on that last possession was a bit... Ooh, like at some stage you just have to you have to put an end to to, to Leinster playing that ball. Yeah, yeah, you have to hit someone. You yeah. have to, like, but I think if that gut punch of not closing out that draw in Edinburgh didn't happen a few weeks ago, this I'm not saying this would be an acceptable loss. I don't think it would hurt as much. Like obviously you it would smart a bit, etc., because you had the game one clock and you know, last play, etc. But I mean, this is twice now in a couple of weeks that you've lost in last play when you have done incredibly well to get back into the game. And that's, I think, what the killer is. It's the fact that, like, you look at the first half for Connacht, very, very good. Leinster are in a position in that second half where you're thinking, Jesus, Connacht needs something. Like, they really need something. And then suddenly they pull ahead and you're just thinking, what a night in Galway. And then, boom, lose last play. For the second time in three games, four games, mm-hmm. and they look at their lineout that led to the, the Jesus opportunity. Christ, the ending of that game. It's like neither team wanted to lose, or neither team wanted to win, 
and Connacht won that. Like it just Jesus Christ. Like, I like mean, if, if any of the coaching game. staff had, had hair left, they would they would have pulled they would have pulled whatever was there out. They're pulling wasn't, their beards out. Wasn't that Lins, wasn't that line out that Connacht messed up? That final line out as a result of a scrum penalty from yeah. Leinster. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, yeah. you you see that scrum penalty, like coaching had on. You see that scrum penalty, you think to yourself, drill that down the pitch, secure the ball, cheese that clock, like We're take it to here. the take it to the very front of the line out, and just cheese. Yeah. We're talking, yeah, clocks in the red like oh, <laughs> mature cheddar cheese. It oh my days. <laughs> And it is, you, you, oh, it's, it's coach killers. And but God. for I, I don't know, is it seems to be something a mental issue that Connacht have because it's been through a few coaches, it's been and it's always there. It's things like kickoffs after they score. They where, did, to, where did that penalty that they got? Where did that go? That was around halfway line, wasn't it? Ish, yeah. Fuck me, it should have been beyond the 10 meter line, like. It's small. I know it's stupid. Oh, should have kicked the ball fucking farther. But like, yeah. it, to be, should have maybe honest, stopped the try going in. It doesn't matter where you kick it. Is, thing is, Tom, they could have kicked it five meters up the pitch as long as they secured that lineup. We wouldn't be line talking up. about it. Yeah, exactly. Just, and it, didn't it go to the middle or something like that? Uh, it was I so remember. It was so yeah. Yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it's just a fucking killer. But like, I mean, it's just closing a game that you have, and I can't emphasize this enough. Like. Leinster seemed to have it won at one point. And you were just kind of looking at it and you're thinking, I don't know if Connacht can get back into this. Now, the, the, the biggest compliment I have about Connacht, and I said it a couple of weeks ago as well, is they're relentless. Like their energy levels are absolutely superb. To get back ahead like they did, you're thinking to yourself, close this out and what a win. Like what a win. Like you build on that. Like you just keep going. And you look at the start that Connacht had to that first URC block across those seven games. Like, yeah, they dropped that game in Edinburgh, but got a win in South Africa, et cetera. Like, it, it was a decent start to that seven-game block. And that would have been, or six-game block as it was, and that would have been the the icing on top. You just beat Leinster at home, regardless of the team Leinster put out. It does not matter. Like, you say you beat Leinster at home after coming back from behind. Okay, now we can focus on Europe, blah, 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 blah. But Jesus, what a good punch. Yeah, because like Leinster, this, I think, will be delighted, is... by the way, that like that they didn't play well in this game at all. Like I think they played really poorly for large stretches. Still came away with a very dramatic win at the end that they executed very, very well. And it's like, but I'm not sure what where Leinster will feel they are at the moment. I think that there's, they're far from their best. But for Connacht, to have come back into that game the way they did, to be as close as they were, um, it, it's not going to hurt them long term, but it's just it's one of those, one of those sickeners that sticks with you. If you're going it, from four, four, four points to one, I think it does hurt them. Yeah, I think. Oh, I, think like so saying, I, yeah. Think, I think, and the biggest thing is, this is what this is what hurts. You you say it doesn't hurt now, it doesn't hurt. It hurts. I think at the end of the season because these are the points that you give up against Edinburgh it's the ones you give up against Leinster like this that you could close out this is the difference to me between between finishing fifth to eighth and, yeah, and top four. first top four yeah. and that's the difference between a home quarterfinal and um, I think that's the to me that's the big difference Connacht have shown that they can go and they can play and they can play rugby and they they pushed um, Stormers all the way in the in the semi-final last year, um, they beat Ulster away. 
um, and they, they pushed uh, Stormers. Um, I think that's played at home. It's a different game. You have Stormers travelling to sports ground to play that game in the semi-final. That's massive. Um, Plus as well, the Connacht are, are their away to Ulster next up. So like they've got a difficult kind of little run of games coming up as well, where like then it's it's the main against main event monster then in uh, January. So it's like uh, obviously they're fucking losing that one. So um yeah, look, there's some tough games coming up, and it's um yeah, it's that that's the one that like, when they had the win, especially with the scrum throw it away. dominance they had, it's just like for that to lose that then it's like fuck it. And that's the thing, and like to flip that over and and to move it on to to sort of to Leinster, like you look at Leinster. Connacht have a very good line particularly defensive line and they, they were putting up like two pods at a time they really went after it they took the Leinster line out of parts um, especially in the first half but the worrying thing for me I think for Leinster was again the scrum right and look we'll all put the caveats around it you know scrum only matters when it matters but this week coming for, for Leinster is going to be one of those that potentially matters and Again, I think what hurt Leinster the most in this was the change of referee. It was supposed to be um, Brace, Andy Brace, um, was supposed to be refereeing it, and it changed to Chris Busby. Um, and Busby had ref them the week before the previous uh, Munster game um, in the Aviva, and he in the in the game at the Aviva with Munster, he. Um, what you call it? He was coaching through it. He was he was talking about them. You know, um, he had to uh, what you call it? Call he called them out a couple of times on not taking the hit. He was talking about angles on it. Whereas this time he seemed to say, okay, well, you know, I've already um sort of talked you through this in the previous game, and he started penalizing them. There was several times that they got caught for not taking a the hit. There was a couple of times where they they didn't go in it. That last penalty that they that they gave up that gave Connacht what should have been the win, again, came from the scrum. No matter who Leinster brought on, they were struggling in that scrum. Whether they brought on Furlong, no matter what was there, um, you know, they were they were in trouble. If that's the case now that you have um, referees and this is going to be what's taken into Europe, they could be in big trouble, particularly against La Rochelle, if this gets into a, a sort of a down and dirty game. I was actually only thinking about kind of the second rows who will start against La Rochelle. I think we're going to see James Ryan and um, McCarthy start in the row yeah. for Leinster. Um, I, I don't know why that came into my head earlier today, but I was just like, yeah, that's probably who I would select anyway. And then I was thinking about the 10 question and who I would select versus who I think will be selected. And I think we'll be looking at... Um, I'm probably jumping the gun here, am I? Jumping into this. No, 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 no. Um, but I was thinking I probably would select Frawley, but I think it'll be start Harry Byrne, Frawley on the bench. Like That's the way I see it as well. Ha- Harry Byrne has been involved in a lot of Leinster's games so far this season. So I think considering Frawley hasn't started a 10 this season, that I know he had pretty much 78 minutes or whatever it was um, at 10. But I just think it would be, I think it would be a big jump just to say, right, you're now the 10 against La Rochelle. I think he'd be able for it, but I just think 
now having not been there, it would just, it just doesn't make sense to me if that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one versus La Rochelle. It's going to be whoever is at 10, be it Harry Byrne, be it Frawley, be it Charlie Tector, be it um, Sam Brindley, whoever. I think it's going to be a really, really big test. In the last two and a half seasons, Frawley has started. I'm going to say three. 10. Twice. Twice. Okay. He played the Stormers away on. in 21-22. So that was, you know, they'd already qualified for for yeah, the yeah, for the knockouts. Yeah. Game was dead. And then he played Benetton at home last season, 22-23. Yeah. And he hasn't started. He hasn't been picked to start at 10 this season. Yeah. So, I mean, based on that, you've got to say, you know. There's no not real gonna, question. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why would they pick him now? And I think the time invested into Harry Byrne, they'll probably stick with that. Um, I think Frawley, to me, Frawley potentially offers more an attack. But I've said it on and on. I don't think he, there's no other 10 in Leinster that has the same skill set as him. So if you you want him as your main man now going forward, who are you going to have as the backup to play that system? Or are you going to try change everything for that one player and have no backup to play that system? Yeah. It's whereas you could you can play the likes of Ross Byrne, Harry Byrne, even Prendergast to a degree, or or you can ask sort of Frawley to change to try and fit into that a little bit more. Um, you know, on a needs needs B basis. So I I think they're going to they're going to stick with Harry Byrne to do that, and they're going to be we're going to see how how good he really is I think so too I absolutely think so and like you only need to go back as far as that New Zealand tour Harry Byrne was brought on that wasn't he was he named and then was he selected and then injured or something or injured I think it could have been yeah yeah but I mean like Uh, that's that's the level he was look I mean yeah I mean yeah but I mean like a lot of that came from the Brian O'Driscoll you know or I'm, yeah. ju- I'm just I'm just saying like we've probably not seen him in the start a game probably to this degree in how no. long do you know what I mean so it, I think it's going to be a massive test for him and I'm that guns just, aren't out for him or anything like that but I, I hope he does well don't get me wrong if he is starting but I just think it's, it's I don't a big know step up it's a massive it's a step, step up like, it's a massive I step. thought I thought um I was watching the game on on TV and Bernard Jackman made uh, some interesting comments and it, it sort of filters around that sort of stuff where he said Leo Cullen is uh, making selection compromises just to give the players minutes and he, his point was it doesn't necessarily advance the player, the club or their Ireland hopes and he was talking about you know guys like Osborne or Frawley and he was saying you know like Obviously, Frawley wants to play 10. They had the big interview with him before the game. You know, he kept he kept talking about that. He wants to play 10. That's where he sees himself. You have Osborne, who, you know, is he really going to play on the wing for Ireland or even that much for Leinster in a first-choice team? You so he, he was saying that they, they're giving him minutes just to placate. Yeah. So it's it's like, here's your game time. Here's here's what you're getting. This is how I'm going to keep you happy. So you're you so that when you're coming in for your contract negotiation, but I give you game time against Connacht, you got this, you got that, you know, you've had your chances. Yeah. 
And but it is what is it doing overall in terms of the player or their Ireland hope? You know, yeah. um, playing it's a good, playing Frawley, it's a, good, it's if, a good point. Like Frawley's not going to take over from Keenan at any time soon at fifteen. No. Um, Aki at twelve or Henshaw at twelve or McCluskey at twelve. He's not going to take over from there either, really. Like, no, and I like. I think Osborne is a is a really good player, but I don't think he's necessarily a winger. I think he's probably going to end up as the center, either twelve or thirteen. Yeah. So you know, you're giving him game time at the wing, and I understand you know why you're doing that, but that's not necessarily developing the player that you that you want longer term or that's needed for Ireland. Now, the argument is that it's it's not Leo Collins' job to necessarily do that for Andy Farrell. Oh no, it's not, and that's fair enough too. Like, but even if you look at Leinster, I mean, winger-wise, he's probably what fourth. Like, you have Low, you've Jimmy O'Brien, Jordan Larmer, you have well Tommy O'Brien. Like, Tommy there's, a, as well, yeah. there's a rake of wingers there that you could make that argument for as well. Like that, mm. they're probably ahead of him on the wing, and then you look at their centres, like Natai, Henshaw, Ringrose, uh, Frawley to a degree. Um, it's pretty stacked everywhere. It is, and it is, it is stacked. And I think it, it comes down to the the point where, particularly, I think uh, Frawley's out of out of contract at the end of this season. So the next these few weeks are are going to to be big in terms of contracts because obviously contracts are getting signed at the moment, um, and worked out. You look, Frawley had. Pretty good game against Munster in the Aviva. He played 78 minutes or whatever it ended up being at, at 10. Um, gets moved back to, to fullback for the Connacht game. Yeah. As, as we say, if they go with Harry Byrne against La Rochelle, where does that leave Frawley if he's publicly come out and stated that he wants to play 10? And if, if they go with a 6-2 bench split against La Rochelle? Does that keep him happy? People can't see you know, what I'm doing, but I'm shrugging. <laughs> Mamma mia, huh? <laughs> you have to throw the hands up. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's it's all there. Um, and it's it's something he, he'll have to to figure out himself on it. Um, we'll, we'll look at the, the Leinster match first, then we'll go back to Connacht. Um, Leinster have La Rochelle on Sunday afternoon. Ross Byrne is out uh, till the new year. And Jamie Osborne is now actually out as well. Um, Michael Mill is to be assessed during the week whether he'd be available for selection with uh, Tommy O'Brien and Luke McGrath are both out. So they have pretty much a full, sort of close to a full deck to pick from, particularly in terms of their strongest sort of 23. So I think it'll be interesting whether they go down the 6-2 route and play Frawley. Um, it's not something they've, they've done too much really. Um, previously, um, and how how they look to combat it again. La Rochelle haven't been going well in the top fourteen. They're ninth uh, in that at the moment, but they they have started to get some of their World Cup stars back, and um, I think they had a good win at the weekend there. How do you see this one going? I think just because of who it is, and. Past results, I'm going to go with La Rochelle. Um, it was interesting as well. I don't know if you saw it, but O'Gara's piece in the Examiner maybe last week talked about how we underestimated the World Cup hangover 
Um, and mm-hmm. kind of he didn't think that it would be as big a factor as it had turned out to be. So I think they're turning that corner now as well, etc. Um, Skelton's back as well. So I'd be surprised if he's not involved. So yeah, I'm. I think I'm going to go for a Larry. Was it at home or away? Uh, La Rochelle or at home? Yeah, I I think I'm going to go with the La Rochelle win. I think, I think. Yeah, I I think La Rochelle at home. Um, be hard to back against them. This would be the. Or what is it? Leinster have only lost two pool games in the last six. I think it is seasons. Jesus, really? Yeah, they were beaten by Toulouse back in around 2017 or 2018. And they were obviously, you know, nilled by Montpellier during oh, yeah. the, uh, the COVID season. They Is that the second loss? Yeah, the second loss. That's so shit, isn't it? Like <laughs> That's that's officially the second loss, that 28-0. Wouldn't you just be like, come on, come on. Right. That goes back and like you know, you're you're going back to Leo Collins, I think it's is it first season he was in charge then when they lost five out of the six games. That's like uh in the in the Champions Cup. The um the thing about it is though as well, we talked about it with um the Monster game. The interest levels will be there for La Rochelle. Like one hundred percent. Yeah. They're at home. The- it's they're two-time Champions Cup winners, like. I think. I think the other thing is that the way the format is at the moment, you win your two home games, and you're you're, you're, you're pretty much spot. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're in the knockouts, and if you can sneak an away game, look, you you start moving up the pecking order. Yeah. Um. So I think for for La Rochelle, they value the Champions Cup, which is a big thing in in terms of French teams, because as we we well know, certain French teams don't. I think the the value is there in the home game, so I can see them as you say they're going to care about this. They're they're going to put out a, a proper team for it, so it'll be it'll be a good. I reckon it'll be a good game. I I don't again like the previous couple of uh, encounters between the two. I don't see an awful lot in it, but La Rochelle at home, you'd, you'd have to fancy them. Yeah, I think so too. It'll be tight, like, but I just think they'll they'll nudge it. And then moving back, uh, Connacht face Bordeaux on Friday night. Um, Connacht at home. Uh, Bundyaki is back, so he he he's had his rest. Um, That's massive. As, like he's coming back into a team whose centers are already firing, etc. Um, so I think that's bigger again. Like it's it's a it's a big big inclu- like I mean, you look at Mac Hansen last week. Like the first game back, he beat eleven defenders. Eleven. Some people don't beat that many over a season. Yes, I mean, like, that's insane. <laughs> like, that's insane. Um, so I think with Aki back as well, Hansen back, etc. I think it's going to be very interesting to see who starts at ten. I, I think that's JJ's. Yeah. I'm starting to think so. He's 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 not perfect. Nobody he's, is. Nobody. He's, is. he's not. He's not. He's not flawless. He's not perfect. But I think he just gives that bit more consistency yeah. than uh, Carty, and particularly with his goal kicking, I think is it's a little bit better. Um, and I I can see him uh, playing playing in this one, particularly at home. I think uh, they also have Gavin Thornbury back, 
uh, and Shane Bolton, but they do have some problems at scrum half. Colm Riley is now out for 12 weeks, so they're way down the depth chart yeah. on their scrum halves. Yeah, that is a blow. You'd be expecting Blade to go as long as he can until the yeah. game is at least comfortable or, you know, one. Yeah, or um, if, if it's anyway close, he's going to be playing the 80. Yeah, but at the same time, like, if... Uh, how do you protect him at the same time, like for the next game? Like it's such a tricky one. Um, I I was actually thinking that they may need to go for cover somewhere. Yeah, and look at a, a short term loan, for, like because yeah, effectively Colin Riley's out for th- three months. Yeah, till what March, end of February. Um, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's a tough one. Um, and he'll be coming probably coming back to full fitness in around the time of the the break as well, like. So it's, mm. it's a killer. <laughs> that is, um, one, yeah. yeah. Bordeaux have been they're sort of their mid table, they're seventh in the top fourteen. They have um decent squad, um, decent team. But again, it depends whether they have an interest in this. Interest levels, yeah. Interest levels are going to go on a Friday night in December in, in a competition sport, in a competition where you win your home games and you probably get knockout. Yeah. People can't see me, but I'm shrugging again. Um, I'm gonna well, I'm gonna go with a Connacht win anyway. I think well, it, you can talk about the Leinster loss last week. They're still in a pretty good place, like etc. I think their energy levels will trump Bayons. I think their um their line speed, uh, their kicking game, inviting Bayon to run it back from deep. They're just not going to do that. I don't think. Um. Probably yeah, looking th- to put to put right last week as well, etc. Well, yeah, this, I think, if, I this think was, if this was a game in France, I'd probably be talking differently, but it's not. Oh, totally. Yeah. I I think for both for both Munster and for Connacht, you need to put points on the board early and yeah, don't yeah, give them a yeah. sniff, and then game's gone after about half an hour. Yeah, 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 and then just keep controlling it. Like yeah, not, not thinking the game is gone, so you stop playing. You just keep doing what you're doing that got you doing. in that position. Exactly, but you, you, you don't, you don't give a, a sucker an even break type thing. That's it. Um, go with that, right? So that's the uh, the Champions Cup uh, games. Talk a little bit about the Celtic Challenge. Um, some uh, some announcements on that today. Two Irish teams uh, announced the Clovers and the Wolfhounds. The Clovers is going to be. Primarily a Munster and Connacht selection with the Wolfhounds, Leinster and Ulster, although the IRFU have said there is some crossover of players maybe likely on that. The competition runs from the end of December to March. There's five regular season games or sort of pool games and then three playoff games. Uh, it opens, uh, the first one is, uh, round one is the Derby game. So you have the Wolfhounds against the Clovers in Musgrave Park. On Friday the 20, 29th of December. Um but this is where it's sort of well for me, I was looking at it. That's the Wolfhounds who are meant to be primarily the Leinster and Ulster team playing their home game in Musgrave Park. And then the following round, I think it is the Clovers, who are Munster and Connacht, play their home game in Donnybrook. I mean yeah. you're 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 going to struggle to try and build an identity around those two teams. 
Well, like, I think you also have, let's say, those home games that are away. If you're looking at those, and there's a there's a couple of angles I think that are, it's worth looking at with this competition. But I suppose one of those angles is if you have to take a day off work, etc., for that. Like, is it all going to be professional players? Is it all going to be contracted players? I should say, like, if you're an uncontracted player, like it's eleven weeks is a long time to be to be in camp like this and to be playing like this, etc. Um, but I suppose a couple of questions for me like I mean you've talked about what it is and everything like that is it suitable for the international game I suppose uh, like I mean you look at what Gillian McDarby said so she's the IRFU head of women's performance and pathways she said the collective goal of the three unions is to elevate the Celtic challenge to the highest level of competition possible ensuring that players are in the best position to compete in the women's six nations now if we look at last year's Celtic challenge it was Ireland's best players against developmental sides for Wales and Scotland. So, I mean, is this true that we are looking at the highest level of competition possible? Like, especially when you look at Wales, who are hosting open tryouts for this competition. Are we selecting our best to play against development sides again, like last year? Now, a caveat to that, Wales hosting tryouts, etc., is a lot of their players are obviously playing in England, etc. But at the same time, we have contracted players now. If you look at last year's, it was used essentially for a Six Nations warm-up. Now, last year's Six Nations, we won the wooden spoon. We scored three tries. We had zero framework in attack or defence, and it might sound harsh, but it's true. Now, with new coaches this year, I can understand how they'd want to see their best play before the Six Nations, but they did that in the WXV3. Is there a need to run them out here in this, or is it a chance to... To, to, to test the depth I suppose here now the other side of the coin for me is even if it is used as a warm up for the Six Nations and if Ireland do really poorly again this season I think it will be spun as the beginning of a new project under a new coaching staff which is in part true to an extent but I think it's only a fraction of the actual issue so while I think that something needs to be done to help the international game is this it like, why not revamp the Interpros that were essentially almost passed off as meaningless by squad selection when it came to Ireland, etc.? Why not revamp that in a way that makes it more meaningful, etc.? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd go back and you you, you, sort, you you touched on that point. And you, like, what what is the pathway for Irish players, right? Because previously, it it's not the Interpros, right? Because what's happening in the Interpros is not being selected for the Ireland team, right? So that means that your Interpros are were n- were not going to be your top level for selecting players for the national side. Fair enough. That was what we were told, and what's been happening is that happens in the AIL, right? So the AIL is your primary development tool, right? And that's where the best players should be playing against each other, and from that you can start picking the the, the Ireland team. But now what you're doing with this tournament is you're devaluing the AIL because you're starting to take those players out of it for effectively the best part of, what, three months? Well, there's the other side of the coin is, I mean, even if you just start off with the communication around it, like I know one AIL club has had 16 players asked and the head coach of that team only found out last week. Um, It's only today when the fixtures were put out that they found out they wouldn't have those players available. So only clarity around those fixtures. 
So the head coach of an AIL team who's losing 16 odd players. Now that depends on how many take up the invitation, obviously, as well. But mm-hmm. you're you're talking about a huge chunk of your squad. They're only getting clarity on the fixture list today. like So it's what, three weeks away or whatever it may be. And it's today that th- that clarity came on. Now, the the timing of it, I think, is it's insane because you, you, you have to look at the knock-on effect of it as well. So a large number of players will come from a nucleus of clubs, your railways and your Black Rocks and your Belvos and your Bows. Like they will contribute heavily. They'll still need to field for weekends for the IL. So that's going to come first through December, February and March. Now, if you look at those games that... That, that are in February, March, etc. Now, the first weekend of games I'm looking for here is the 9th of December. Now, I know it might be early. I don't know if players will still be there, etc. So I'm just going to leave out December for the sake of argument, right? But you look at the February games, etc. that are coming up. Railway Union, they will probably send a lot of players up to this Celtic Challenge. They're away to Cook um, in, in early February. Like this is a game now if you're a Cook and you're probably not losing an awful lot of players, you're thinking to yourself, well, we're going to target that. Um, not only that, but like, I mean, you look at Weijans, they're at home to Bose. Bose will lose a rake of players. Weijans will lose maybe two or three, I'd say. So again, Bose are currently top of the table and they're certain, suddenly thinking, well, we have to go away to Weijans now in February. And this happens across the board. Belvoir going away to Wicklow, etc. Um, You look at the following, like even if you skip ahead another couple of weeks, like Weijans are at home to Blackrock. Setonians are at home to Belvoir. Um, it's It's just going to be a huge knock-on effect. And I think what's going to happen is teams will drop games that they otherwise shouldn't. And now the AIL that we've been told that is such a big part, I suppose, of development and is a huge part of getting ready for the international game. Suddenly, these teams are just going to be dropping games and suddenly the whole league becomes skewed. Now, the other side of the knock-on effect for me is these teams, like your railways and your Belvos and your Bows, etc., they're going to need to field AIL first, junior second. That's the way it's going to be. Now you're meant to have a you're meant to have a seconds team if you're an AIL team. They're going to have to field AIL first. That's just the way it is. Now the leagues with the junior teams are in consist of teams who are, will not be losing players to any sort of competition, and they've been working hard for years with pathways created for young players, etc., to come through. And that's a, I suppose a different kettle of fish. But they're in these leagues and have been working for years to progress through those leagues. But if these junior teams can field, so your seconds teams, let's say of these AIL teams, if they can field, suddenly it skews the leagues that they're in too and potentially could ruin seasons as a result. Another element of the equation is dual status players, like how many dual status players will be lost to clubs this season. Every AIL team gets five spots for dual status, but suddenly they're only, well, that's not suddenly, but they're only allowed to play six games. If you start six games, you're not allowed to play down again. So if you suddenly look at throughout the season, if you started three, four games, let's say for an AIL club, and suddenly this mass exodus of players comes, like you're going to start three more games or four more games, which means that these dual status players that you want to have for the business end of the season, you're suddenly losing them, which actually just adds extra stress for coaches not even involved in the AIL. It's all these junior coaches in D1, D2, et cetera, that are suddenly their players are used to fill the gaps. Now, I say fill the gaps there, but you want your players playing at the highest level and that's a massive thing. And obviously you do, but I think there's a difference between being played at the highest level on merit and being played at the highest level because you need to fill your AIL team. So, I mean, 
I think, to be honest, the graphics and the ideas behind this Celtic challenge can be seen. They can be as glitzy as they want and everything like that, but it's built on a club system that's currently made of sand, I think, and it's it, it just needs to be fixed fully. Like It just hugely devalues the AIL, and ultimately there's huge knock-on effects for teams in D1, D2, etc. And I mean, ultimately, it's them who's going to suffer that bit more. That's it. I think, look, it's there's no proper structure around this and that that has to be fixed up by the IRFU um you know and that's something that's not going to be fixed up pretty quickly um we'll round it up there folks thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen as it really helps and also be sure to share the podcast on social media hope you have a good week and the three of us will be back next week to chat again